Bibles open to the 103rd Psalm. I'd like to spend this Lord's Day and Lord willing next Lord's Day examining this psalm together. Before we begin this morning, I uh, think I should offer thanks to uh, many of our men and ladies who spent time yesterday helping to clean things up around here. Maybe you noticed that when you drove in, and um, a lot of uh, hands went in to help cleaning up the outside of the building, and uh, some ladies worked diligently cleaning up the inside of the building, so when you look out those windows and you see how clean they are, don't touch them to see if they're really there. Um, but I just I want to thank, uh, thank so many of you that gave up time on your Saturday to do that, and that definitely shows a willing spirit to, to serve the Lord here. Uh, people do get an impression of, of the Lord and what we think about the Lord by how we manage the things of the Lord. And so uh, it's uh, important that, that we do that. So thank you for that. I mentioned last week as we uh, look at uh, particular psalms together that uh, the Psalter uh, contains 150 inspired hymns. Unlike other books of our Bible that have chapters, the, the psalm has in, Psalms have inspired divisions. Each of these could stand alone. Uh, they are individual uh, written hymns, uh, but put together in a collection, and they have been arranged thematically. So oftentimes there is an arrangement to uh, the group of psalms that they find themselves in, or what goes before, or, or what comes after. Psalm 103 and 104 are intentionally placed together because it's in these two psalms that there's a phrase that occurs, and it only occurs here and nowhere else in your Bible. Six words. Look at it with me. Look at Psalm 103.1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O my soul. Verse 22, bless the Lord, O my soul. And look at how the 104th Psalm opens. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And notice how it closes, Psalm 104, 35. Bless the Lord, O my soul. If you look elsewhere in the scripture, you'll find the term bless the Lord certainly, but not this phrase as it's stated, bless the Lord, O my soul soul. The 104th Psalm really instructs us to bless the Lord from our soul, but it has a particular focus on God. The focus is easily seen. Look at Psalm 104, look at verse 5. <clears throat> Speaking of God, it says, He set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. Look at verse 10, speaking of God, you make springs gush forth in the valleys, they flow between the hills, they give drink to every beast of the field. Look at verse 14, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate. Verse 16, the trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. Verse 19, he made the moon to mark the seasons, the sun to know its time for its setting. And therefore, verse 24 O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. So the 104th Psalm is encouraging us to praise God 
For what? What aspect? That God is creator. He's creator and sustainer. And because he creates everything and sustains it, we should bless him and bless him from our soul. The 103rd Psalm actually has a different emphasis. We've seen the phraseology the same, to bless the Lord for our soul, from our soul. But notice what its emphasis is. Verse 3, God forgives. Uh, or verse 3, yeah, God forgives all your iniquity. We read down in verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Verse 17, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting on those who fear him. The 103rd Psalm instructs us to bless the Lord, not because of God as creator, but really God as savior, forgiver, redeemer. And that's the focus of the 103rd Psalm. However, the 103rd Psalm has a kind of progression to it. As you read through it, it, it begins very personally. Look again at verse 1, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within what? Me. Verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul. Verse 3, he forgives all your iniquity, heals all your diseases. Verse 4, he redeems your life from the pit. Verse 5, he satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed. And those are all singular pronouns, and they're talking individually. And so it begins in verses 1 through 5 with this idea of, of personally, I should bless the Lord. And then when you come to verse 6, it says, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. And you get down to verse 10 and it says, He does not deal with who? Us, according to our sins, or repay us according to our iniquities. Verse 12 ends with this idea of removing our transgressions from us. Verse 14, he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He now went from singular to plural. And so in the second part of the psalm, he kind of expanses this personal call to praise to say, let all of God's people praise him. Let's corporately praise God. And finally, in verse 20, he expands that. Bless the Lord, O you, his what? His angels. Verse 21, bless the Lord, all his hosts. Verse 22, all his works. And now it's everything, everywhere, always praise God. And there's kind of this crescendo from personal praise to corporate praise among the people of God to everything should praise God. And it works this way. But here's the really interesting thing about the 103rd and 104th Psalm. Who is being addressed? When we read the Psalms, they're often addressed to God. Praise to Him. Let's all praise Him. But who's being addressed in these? Verse 1. Bless the Lord who? My soul. Who's the psalmist talking to? Himself. 
Did you know you should talk to yourself? This is exactly what we are being told to do. It is the purpose for which this psalm was written to give us kind of a, an inspired example of somebody talking to themselves. And so I'm going to preach to you this morning on instructing your soul to bless the Lord from the 103rd Psalm. Because that's exactly what's going on. How do I instruct myself? How do I bid myself, encourage myself to bless the Lord? And Lord willing, we'll make it through the first stanza, this personal aspect, and then in ensuing weeks, we'll look at the rest of the psalm. Let's pray and ask God to help us see these things this morning. Lord, as we enter in this year and time of year that involves thanksgiving to you, would you help us to know, Father, how to engender within our soul a thankful spirit that would truly bless you. And may we see it from this text and this passage in a way that will truly honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a preacher in the 20th century. His name was Martin Lloyd-Jones. <clears throat> Many of you heard of him. And Lloyd-Jones had a, a wonderful ministry there in London, England. And <clears throat> he wrote a book entitled Spiritual Depression. In that book, he talks about, uh, basically it was based on Psalm 42, and, and he talks about how we, even as believing people, oftentimes get depressed, as it were, uh, spiritually. And we deal with, with uh, plagues of despair in our soul. And something that Lloyd-Jones had said in that little book has always stuck out to me. I actually have it on the screen for you here. There's Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. I know it's kind of small type, but, but he said this. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problem of yesterday, etc. Somebody's talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Jones goes on to describe in his book that really what we should be doing instead of always listening to ourselves and letting these things fill our thoughts and plague our mind, we must become very, very good at self-talk, talking to ourselves. Well, we have here in the 103rd Psalm an inspired hymn of somebody doing just that. David is addressing himself. How does he do this? Why does he do this? And what does he say to himself? Lord willing, we'll answer some of these questions. If, if you're looking to, to outline this this morning, we're going to look at just the first five verses. We're going to talk about the description of blessing the Lord from our soul. That's really in the first and second verse. And then 
the end of verse 2 down to verse 5, we're going to look at, at the depiction of that, how, how that actually plays out. So I want to begin with really this basic kind of question. What does it mean to bless the Lord? That's what we're being told to do. If I'm talking to myself, I'm telling my soul, whatever that is, to bless the Lord. What does it mean to bless the Lord? What is a blessing? A blessing is some benefit bestowed. We often use the term this way, right? Uh, when somebody does something for us in, in kindness, a kind gesture, you might reply to them, thank you, that was such a blessing. That benefit that you bestowed was a blessing. We might even say that of spiritual things. When someone gets up here and ministers musically or, or teaching God's word, you might say to them, that was really a blessing. And what you're saying is, I spiritually benefited from that. Well, how do we bless the Lord? Are we going to bestow some benefit upon God? What does it mean to bless Him? Well, the term bless in the original language literally means to speak words of excellence about something. It uh, kind of has in, in it the idea of this word that, that refers to the knee, and it's kind of the idea of bending the knee while I do this, and I'm speaking words of excellence to the person uh, that, that I'm actually blessing. Uh, think of it in these terms. The New Testament speaks of this in James chapter 3. It talks about uh, words of blessing, and it says, uh, from, from our heart, out of our tongue, as it were, proceeds blessing, those words that we use to bless the Lord, and also cursing, and we can curse those made in His image, and He says those things shouldn't go together. There's a problem in the heart. So we would say that, that blessing could be the opposite of cursing, so in the sense of blessing the Lord, I'm ascribing something to Him, I am, I am noting something about the Lord. I'm not conferring a benefit upon Him, I'm actually acknowledging His benefits to me. Let me show you this. I think this will help you. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Because here I know it's a New Testament context, but we have uh, this idea of blessing God and blessing He bestows in the same verse. Therefore, it gives us a kind of succinct idea of the way this term is used. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 Paul writes and says, blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so here he is blessing God, right? Why is he doing that? Middle of the verse. Who this God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So what Paul is doing is he's blessing God. He's acknowledging God's good gift in Christ. It's a spiritual blessing. And when he blesses God, he's acknowledging that. He's speaking of that. He's, in a sense, thanking God for that. So go back to Psalm 103, and I would say this, to bless God is to credit God for his good gifts, to acknowledge his good gifts and credit God for that. That's what it means to bless 
the Lord. God is the blesser. And as I've noted before, this plays out in the passage. David acknowledges that should be the case personally from my own soul. That should be the case that we acknowledge and give credit to God for his good gifts corporately among his people. And that really all of creation should credit God for his good gifts. And honestly, as believing people and those who believe in the sovereignty of God, we of all people should acknowledge that all good things come from him. So we are to bless the Lord, acknowledge and give him credit for what is good. Well, what are we, what is being addressed? What is being bidden to bless the Lord? Again, verse one, bless the Lord, O my soul. <clears throat> okay, what is your soul? you had to define your soul, what would it be? Well, whatever it is, notice that the next line kind of elaborates on that idea. Verse 1, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is what? Within me. Okay, is he talking about your vital organs? Your lungs? Your kidneys? Is that what he's talking about? No, he's, he's talking about your inner person. Imagine your body is like a shell. And that body houses something that is, is inside of it. It's, it's your soul. It's your inner being. Well, how is that inside part of me, that soul, affected? How is it reached? Imagine it this way. Think of your body as the shell and housing. This, this immaterial part is inside of you. This physical part is outside of you. But there are gates to your soul. And what goes in those gates affects your soul. Do you know what those gates are? It's what you see. Is that a gate to your soul? That affects this immaterial part of you. What you hear, is that a gate to your soul? Even what you touch, even what you smell, can have a reaction. Your, your senses are like gates that can affect what is inside of you, your soul. And... When something comes in those gates or is loud through those gates, what does it affect about you that's really this inner part of you? Well, we would put in there things like what we would call cognition, your mind. It affects what you think. It, it, it appeals to your reasoning, even your imagination. And certainly your memory, those are all cognitive processes. That's a part of your inner person. It affects your emotion. That's a part of your inner person. How you, how you feel about things, even reaction towards certain things. And in your soul also lies what we would call your volition, your desires. Your, your choices, what really makes you tick. 
and what the psalmist is doing here is he's saying, we ought to give God his credit for all the blessings that he bestows, and I ought to be reminding my soul about that. So that this inner part of me is being addressed. That it's out of that soul, we could refer to it as the heart. That it's out of that very thing that it overflows into this praise of God for his good gifts. This credit to God. So the command is for my soul to credit God for the good things that he does. All right. Still with me? Now, when I say that, all of you sit here and you say, yeah, I know. I really, really want that. You know, I really, really wish that I just had always this heart that wanted to bless the Lord and acknowledge all the good things God does, but I don't always feel like it. And we focus on our feelings. And because I don't feel like blessing the Lord, I can't bless the Lord. So I've got to work up some kind of feeling to do that. It's kind of like, you know, on Wednesday nights, if you come here on Wednesday nights and we have our prayer time together and we, we open by reading a portion of scripture and then we just say, okay, let's thank the Lord together. Why don't you share what thankfulness to God you have in your heart? And all of us kind of sit there in silence and everybody feels really, really guilty. Why? Well, I should really feel like thanking the Lord, but I don't. And I'm, I kind of wish I had more of that. So how do I get there? I mean, you don't know what's happened today. But the trouble is we get so focused on our emotions, our feelings. And we think that that is the primary aspect of my soul that must be engaged primarily if I'm ever going to do this. Really bless the Lord with a thankful heart. But friends, your emotions are like dry kindling. You know what kindling is to start a fire? They're easily inflamed, but they need a spark. And, and the spark oftentimes can set them in motion, right? Uh, people do this all the time, right? They're, they're feeling down. So what do they do? They use one of those gates they're hearing, and they put music in their ears to try to affect the emotion of their soul. But that's all they're after is this kind of emotional feeling about something. Well, here's what's interesting. When, when the psalmist says, bless the Lord from your soul, what's inside of you, where is his primary appeal? Look at verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and what? Forget not. Okay, you tell me. Where is his primary appeal when it comes to my soul? We talked about cognition, emotion, volition. Where's his primary appeal? My cognition, my mind. And he's saying, talk to your soul and do so by means of recall. 
One writer put it this way, put it very well. He said, David is lecturing his emotions by his volition through cognition. He's using his will to lecture his emotions, and the means is through cognition. And that's what he's telling his soul to do. And, and God knows that we need this. If, if we're really going to bless the soul, it, appeals, it comes through our mind to be able to stir ourselves to actually remember God's benefits. Uh, we are notorious at forgetting God's good things. Uh, look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, look at verse 10. You know, Deuteronomy is the, the second giving of the law. The people have been delivered from Egypt. They've been uh, saved as a nation. They've traveled the wilderness. They're now on the edge of the Jordan, getting ready to cross into the land. Moses is giving them his, his final farewell. And here's what we're told in verse 10. Uh, Moses says to these people, when the Lord God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you with great good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you what? You forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God, you shall fear him. God actually has to remind his people that you're going to go into a place where there is going to be abundance. You're going to inherit these things, as it were. But this will be your tendency. In the midst of those things, you're going to forget what God has done for you. You're going to not remember how God delivered you from Egypt and was so gracious to you as a people. And so God on the front end has to remind these people, don't do that. And when we come to the 103rd Psalm, <clears throat> that's exactly what the psalmist is doing when he's saying, if you're going to bless the Lord from your soul, you really need to remember all that God has done for you. Don't forget that. But what's our problem? Our problem is in our memory we remember easily the bad things and we forget the good things. There's another preacher, you've heard of him, Charles Spurgeon. And he wrote uh, a commentary on the Psalms and it's called The Treasury of David. And Spurgeon just has a, a way with words and an amazing quote about this particular Psalm. And commenting, here's what Spurgeon said. Memory is very treacherous about the best things. By a strange perversity engendered by the fall, it treasures up the refuse of the past and permits priceless treasures to lie neglected. It is tenacious of grievances and holds benefits all too loosely. It needs spurring to its duty though that duty ought to be its delight. Now, beloved, isn't that true? 
that we oftentimes remember the grievances. We remember the harsh words. We remember the painful actions. We hold on to those things and they keep coming to the forefront of our mind. And Spurgeon says, we need to be tenacious, just as tenacious about holding to God's good things, remembering the good things that God has done for us. The 103rd Psalm says, give good counsel to your own soul. When our souls speak to us of the things we think we need and don't have, when we think of all the blessings maybe we should have and don't, the psalmist says it's time then to talk to yourself and remind yourself of all the things you do have. Well, how do we do that? How do we give good counsel to our soul? How do we instruct our souls to bless the Lord? These three things quickly and we're done. Look at verse 3. The end of verse 2, we're, we're not to forget God's benefits. <clears throat> verse 3, what's the first thing he says? What does God do for us? He what? He forgives. He forgives all your iniquity. Here's the amazing thing. We are to remember God's gracious pardon. Who's writing this? It's attributed to David. Did David have anything he needed forgiveness for? You read 2 Samuel 11 and 12, and you read of David the adulterer and the murderer. And yet, David would write this. Look at Psalm 32. Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. David there pronounced this great blessing it is that we have forgiveness with God. But I don't, I don't think we think about that enough. We don't really address that issue in our soul and meditate on it. Because as believing people, if, if you know the Lord and you've been saved from your sin, the Bible says in Romans 8, you have peace with God. Do you remember what it was like to not have peace with God? Do you realize that over the history of humanity and all the religions of the world, all of those religions have had this kind of notion about them? There's some sense that there has to be some appeasement of a higher being whether that be by my good life or my sacrifice or whatever, I need to appease this kind of higher being because for some reason I'm under his just wrath. And that's exactly what the Bible says is true. That all we like sheep have gone astray. And because we are rebellious, we are under the just condemnation of Almighty God. John 3 says, whoever believes not is condemned already. Do you remember what that was like if you're a believing person? 
I've had people that, that talk to me, and, and I'll, I'll invite them, and I'll say, hey, why don't you come to church and join us for worship? And they'll say things like this. I've used this before. I, I can't go there. If I walk in there, the doors would fall in on me. Do you know what they're saying? I can't get close to God. I have no peace with him. And when you look at much of what is playing out in our society, and, and all the turning from a biblical morality, it all stems from this idea that people are guilty. And instead of deal with the guilt, they wish to change the terms of guilt. And let's not talk about that anymore. Let's not talk about that as a right and wrong. Maybe it'll go away. And there's this constant anguish in the human soul that says, I know I'm not right, and there is this sense being made in God's image that I must give an account to him. And yet God says, there is a way to find full forgiveness and be at peace. There's a way to have all of your sin forgiven, all of it covered. And not a single thing that you can do to make it any better because he's already done it through Jesus Christ. And thereby, you have peace with him. And you can draw near to him. Beloved, is that not a great benefit? Is that not something you should speak to your soul about? Oh, my soul, remember that I have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The other thing he says in verse 3, God forgives all of our iniquity. Remember this, he heals all your diseases. Now, this is an aspect of this, that, that there's differences of opinion on this. Is he really talking about literal physical healing? And some people have jumped on this verse, taken it out of its context, and said, yeah, if you're really forgiven, then you should never be sick. And that's ludicrous. We know just practically that's not the case. So, so what is he describing here, that God heals all your diseases? Well, well, sin and disease are linked in the Scripture. In fact, do you know why there is disease? Because there's sin. It's part of the curse. It's part of the fall. And so these two ideas often occur commonly together in Scripture, and sometimes it is metaphorical in that God forgives our sin, and it's like healing a disease. Isaiah 53 speaks of it that way. And it might be that David is saying that, that, that God heals our diseases because it's, it's an extension on the first line of this poetry. He forgives our iniquity. He heals our diseases. He's speaking metaphorically. That could certainly be the case. But I tend to think it's, it's more literal than that, that God does heal diseases. Do you believe God heals? You say, well, I, I had people in my family that God didn't heal, and so I'm not so sure. Well, let me ask you, if you're a child of God, and you know God through Jesus Christ, Will he heal all your diseases? He doesn't always do it this side of heaven, but he will. God does heal all the diseases of his children. 
And he will redeem us, body, soul, and spirit in heaven. Where there will be no more sickness, and no more dying, and no more pain. Is that not a benefit? Speak to your soul about that. Don't ever forget that when you get up this morning like I did after they worked me so hard at the workday yesterday and my back aches and I'm looking for the ibuprofen. Someday that'll be gone. We have to recall God's gracious pardon. Next, look at verse 4. We are to recall God's gracious redemption. He redeems your life from the pit. What is this pit? Literally, it means the idea of grave or, or destruction. Again, this may be literally that David is speaking here, and he's, he's talking to his own soul, and he says, God has saved your life from destruction. Was that ever true of David? When David's a shepherd boy on the hillside watching those sheep, was he ever in peril? He said so. From what? A lion? And a bear, now how many of you have done any lion or bear wrestling lately? (laughs) Yeah, not me. And maybe David's thinking of that. God, you literally saved me from a troubling situation. Not only that, you have that little shepherd boy standing in the valley of Elah against a giant. What's his name? And maybe David's thinking, that could have gone really, really bad. But God, you saved me. You helped me through that. From Saul, who tried to seek his life in the wilderness, from the Philistines and repeated attacks. Obviously, there's a broader interpretation here that that God redeems us ultimately from destruction in the pit of hell. That that is something that God in His grace will forgive our sin and make us righteous in Christ and redeem us and save us from that horrible future. And not only does he redeem us from that, but the end of verse 4, he crowns us with this steadfast love and mercy. It's not just that he, he delivers us from something, it's actually that he gives us a different kind of position, like a crown that was something displayed. And he says that you, my friend, are not just going to be one delivered from this kind of destruction, but you're going to be on display, and you're going to be a display of God's steadfast love and mercy. How is that going to happen? Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 says this. Verse 5. says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, okay, we deserve hell, the pit, he, God, made us alive together with Christ. This is all by grace that you've been saved. And what did he do? God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ. Why? Verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He says, here's the ultimate reason that God delivers you from the pit. Yes, it's about you. It's deliverance. Praise God for that. But ultimately, it's about him. Because he's going to put you on display as a display of his steadfast love and mercy to hell-bound people. And he says, for all eternity, people are going to relish this gracious redemption of God. 
And that's what God does. Is that not a benefit? Bless the Lord my soul for that. And finally, quickly, go back to Psalm 103. He forgives, verse 3. He redeems, verse 5. He satisfies. Remember God's gracious provision. He satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. Um, this is the idea of physical provision. God physically provides for us, and these are good things. He says, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And probably what he's referring to there is this. An eagle molts. You know what that is? Their feathers get old and they, they fall off, but what's, what's beneath those? It's, it's a new plumage. And you can look at an eagle, and it's like they're renewed through that process. And he says, this is God's goodness to us that he feeds us, he sustains us so that we can have renewed strength. And he does this by giving us physical provision that helps us. And so bless the Lord for that. But notice that this is the last thing that David blesses the Lord for. We are so earthbound, we put the physical things first, right? I mean, God gave me this... Uh, the spread of food, this warm place to live. And those are all good, God's good gifts. But notice David puts them last. He says what's really good is his forgiveness and his redemption. And thank God for his provision. This is instructing our soul to bless the Lord. And this is what we are taught personally in this psalm. And you know what, beloved, as is the case with so many things, when we focus on God and bless Him in this way and remember all His benefits, it seems to release us from our despair. Because we're so prone to focus on the negative and listen to ourselves in that. And this psalm says, just pause and start talking to yourself. Think about what God has done for you. And see if it doesn't affect your spirit. We're going to close this morning by singing a hymn that we sang earlier. And I want to encourage you that you look this hymn up. Google it. You'll find the stanzas because... This hymn is written based on the 103rd Psalm. And it's oftentimes easier to learn hymns to these tunes. And as you learn this hymn and sing this hymn, you'll see how it parallels this psalm. So for instance, we've looked at the first five verses. There's a man by the name of Henry Light. And uh, Light was a Scotsman. And... Um, he took up the pen and wrote a hymn based on Psalm 103. And just look at the first stanza that we sang. Praise my what? Who's he talking to? Me. Praise my soul who? The king of heaven. That's going to come later on in the psalm, the 19th verse. We're praising a king. To his feet thy tribute bring. What has he done for me? Ransom healed, restored, forgiven. Isn't that what we looked at? Then he says this, who, like me, his praise should sing. And here's this hint at corporate aspect. 
I'm addressing my soul, and who will come with me? Will all of you come with me and praise him this way? Alleluia, praise to the everlasting king. And the stanzas go on, and if you read those stanzas at home, you'll find how they parallel well this passage. It will help you in remembering them. So, beloved, let's be sure that we're really good at talking to ourselves. And if you come into this time of Thanksgiving and you think, it's been a rough year, I really don't have much to be thankful for. You need to talk to your soul. And you need to remember all that God has done for you and all that he will do, that we would praise him as his people. Let's pray.